All right, so let me get you to open your Bibles. Matthew chapter 2 this morning. We are, it's crazy. We're three weeks in our Christmas series. It doesn't even feel like Christmas. I mean, it does now, I guess, but it doesn't. Uh, it's just a, just a week and a half away. It's kind of crazy. Uh, really thankful for this time of year. Thankful for being able to study the scriptures with you uh, this morning. We are studying Matthew's account of Christ's birth. And, and our theme, our, our, our title of our series is The King is Coming. And we're looking at the birth of Jesus Christ, but we're looking at it through the lens of Matthew's gospel, which portrays Christ as the king of the Jews. Luke's gospel really focuses and hones in on Christ's humanity. Uh, he's the babe in the manger. It goes through his human lineage. Uh, but in Matthew's gospel, uh, he is presented quite literally as the king of the Jews. And, uh, and as such, it's a little different perspective. You know, Christmas, we, we certainly celebrate the babe in the manger and all the things associated with that, but, but that, that babe is a king, and, and a king makes us uncomfortable sometimes. We don't, we don't generally, you know, put up a throne at Christmas and portray a kingdom and, you know, war and a sword and all those different things. Maybe we should. I'm going to start a new line of Christmas decorations for next year, and you'll be able to purchase that and part of your proceeds will go to missions giving, okay? So uh, look for that about, you know, July of next year, maybe. Uh, are, we, are we good with that? Can we do that out of our garage? I didn't ask my wife about that, so maybe, maybe, maybe I'll redact that statement. All right, so, <laughs> you know, so last week we, we, we got into the portion of the story, and, and many of you know the portion of the story, where the wise men show up. And, and we said, you know what, you know, our, our nativity scene gets it wrong sometimes because the Bible tells us that when these wise men show up, Jesus Christ is now a young child, not a babe in a manger, and he's also in a house with Joseph and Mary. And, and, and the Bible also doesn't tell us that there were three wise men. It does tell us that they brought three different types of gifts. We'll get into that a little bit. But, but here's what is interesting about these wise men. When they show up in Jerusalem to Herod and the Jews, the first question in your New Testament is, where is he that is the king of the Jews? Those wise men were looking for the king, and, and that's the point of our, our message, is that, is that we want to be like these wise men. We want to be impacted by the Word of God so that it brings us to the very presence of Jesus Christ so that we can worship Him and give Him what is worthy, uh, what He's worthy and, and do of His name. And so the Bible tells us that these wise men, when they, when they actually got to the young child Jesus Christ, the first thing they did was they fell down. They submitted themselves to him. And then the Bible says that they worshiped him. And then they opened their treasures and they presented unto him gold and frankincense and myrrh. And we want to pick it up in verse 11 today in the Bible as we continue this story uh, of, of the Christmas story in Matthew chapter 2. So pick it up in verse 11. The Bible says, And when they were coming to the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshiped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented Unto him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh, and being warned of God in a dream that they should not return uh, to Herod, they departed into their own country another way. And when they were departed, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, and flee into Egypt, and be there until I bring thee word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. And when he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed into Egypt and was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt 
have I called my son? This is the portion of the text we'll deal with this morning. Let's pray and ask God to teach us. Father, we love you, and uh, we pray this morning uh, again, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would, would reveal exactly what we need to hear today. You know, as, as in Sunday school, uh, we learned that the Word of God is able to cleanse us, it's able to wash us, it's able to purify us, it's able to, to help us present ourselves holy and right before you as a, as a bride looking for her husband. And so this morning, God, I pray your word has a cleansing effect in our heart and life, and I pray that you just give us exactly what we stand in need of. God, thank you for your word, and thank you that we can learn from you today, and we ask it all in Christ's name. Amen. So we're just kind of continuing this story uh, of the king is coming, and, and we're focusing on Christ, uh, the young child king, and we're, we're going we're gonna to take just a moment as we begin this message this morning, and we want to see this, we want to study this display of worship that these wise men exhibited. Because the Bible says that when they fell down and they worshipped him, they opened their treasures and they presented unto him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And, and, and very quickly last week, we just made mention that Christ is worthy of our best. Amen? I mean, he's worthy of our best because he is the king. And we want to talk about these three gifts uh, that were brought. These are Gentile wise men bringing gifts to the king of the Jews. And if you're a student of the Bible, you know that there's some significance prophetically of that statement. But the first gift is the gift of gold, and it is a gift designed for a king. Gold is a gift for a king. Gold is the most valuable material, at least in our economy. And in God's economy, he uses it for pavement, right? It's just, it's just street stones. I mean, that's all it is. You know, we, we've learned when we've studied the judgment seat of Christ that we can build on the foundation of Christ in our life. Uh, we can build in rewards, gold, silver, and precious stones. Gold is something of high value. It's of worth. It represents deity. When you, when you study uh, the tabernacle and the temple in the Old Testament, many of the pieces of furniture were covered or overlaid with gold. The mercy seat was pure gold. The table of showbread, the altar of incense, they were all overlaid with gold. The candlesticks were of, uh, were of pure gold. And so listen, it represents deity. It represents uh, kingliness, so to speak. And that gift of gold proves that Christ is the king. It proves that he is the king of the Jews. And then the second gift is the gift of frankincense. The, frank, the gift of frankincense, and that is a gift that is given for a priest. And when you study the Bible, and again, just for time's sake, we're going to kind of uh, go through the references, but in Exodus chapter 30, you learn about Aaron, the high priest, and his sons. You learn about the office of the priest in the nation of Israel. And one of the things that the office of the priest were to do was to make this oil, this, this anointing oil, and part of the ingredients of this compounded oil was pure frankincense. And, and these priests were to make this, this perfume, if you will. The Bible uses that word. It's a perfume, a confection after the art of the apothecary. They were to mix together this certain mixture of things, including frankincense. And it was reserved only for the priest and only for the usage in the temple or in the tabernacle and then in the temple. In other words, it was reserved for the priesthood. As a matter of fact, God even warns them in Exodus chapter 30. He says, listen, you don't make to yourselves according to the composition thereof. This smells so awesome and so good 
that if you copy it and you take it outside of the service of the house of God, you're going to be put away from the people of God. You mean I can't smell like that in my home? No. God says that's reserved for me because it represents the office of the priesthood. Hebrews 4 tells us that we have a great high priest passed into the heavens, Christ Jesus, the Son of God, so we can hold fast our profession of faith. And so frankincense is a part of the priesthood, and that gift represents the fact that Christ is king, but he is also priest. And we see that in the book of Hebrews. He is a better priest than even Aaron and his sons. And and, and that priest, Christ Jesus, didn't have to offer sacrifices of blood, of, of goats and calves and sheep. He offered the sacrifice of himself to be the atonement for our sin. And then the third gift is the gift of myrrh. And that's a gift designed for a prophet. And we know that Jesus Christ is a prophet. Deuteronomy 18 and verse 15 says, The Lord thy God will raise up unto thee a capital P, prophet, from the midst of thee, of thy brethren, like unto me, and unto him shall ye hearken. And Moses speaking that prophetically about Jesus Christ. He is the prophet. And what's interesting is, being a, being a prophet, a prophet wasn't a popular job to have in the Old Testament with the nation of Israel. And let me tell you why. Because they killed most of them. <laughs> the nation of Israel killed many of their prophets. The prophets were the people that came with God's word to the people. And they all, not all, but, but I think all majority died because Israel rejected their prophets. And, and what's interesting is that Jesus Christ in this gift of myrrh, when you study myrrh in the Bible, the first time it shows up is in Genesis 37, and it's associated with the story of Joseph. And Joseph is one of the greatest types or pictures of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. And you know the story. His brethren sold him into slavery. They stripped him of his coat. They threw him into a pit, the Bible says. And these Ishmaelites came from Gilead with their camels bearing spicery and balm and myrrh. And the first story that's connected with myrrh is a young man rejected of his brethren, stripped of the coat that his father gave him, and cast into a pit. Very similarly, the Lord Jesus Christ himself was rejected by his brethren. The Bible says in John chapter 19 that they took his raiment and they cast lots for it. And they killed him. They crucified him. And so, and so the myrrh first mention is, is with the, the life of Joseph that's associated with his rejection and his selling into slavery. And, and, and myrrh is only found three times in the New Testament. We find it actually in Matthew chapter 2. We find it at Christ's birth. And then we find it at his death in Mark chapter 15 when he's on the cross. The Bible says they gave him drink, wine mingled with myrrh, but he received it not. And then the third time we find it in the New Testament is in John chapter 19 at Christ's burial. At his birth, at his death, and at his burial. Why? Because he is the prophet that was rejected by his people. And there's a key principle in your notes. Look, Christ is worthy of all three gifts because Christ fulfills all three offices. He is the king, he is the priest, he is the prophet. And these Gentiles, 
recognize that. The Jews weren't there offering gifts, by the way. His own people weren't, but these Gentiles are. I think Chris and I were talking about this last week. It just shows that Christ is the king of the Jews, but he's the king of the world. And anyone that would come and worship him and offer to him and and submit themselves to him, he is the Lord of all, (laughs) any that would be willing to come. And and it certainly shows his impact in the world of the Gentiles. And so so we see that through their offering. We see this worship that Christ is receiving uh, of these these wise men, and uh, certainly he is worthy of that. And then we pick it up in the next verse, verse 12. And the Bible says, And being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed into their own country another way. And so number two in your notes, we see a dire warning to these wise men. And God gives his revelation to these wise men through a dream. We see a dire warning, hey, don't go back the way you came. Don't go back to Herod. Go back to your country another way. Now let me, let me break this down into two specific points. Number one, God spoke to them in a dream. And, and, and listen, the way God speaks through history, we can really break it down into two different methods, if you will. Number one, God speaks through what we'll call general revelation. You can write down beside that in your notes, creation. It's available generally to everybody. God has revealed himself through creation. Romans 1 tells us that the invisible things of him of God from the creation of the world are clearly seen. Have you ever read that and thought, what? Okay, it's invisible. Okay, I got that. But you can clearly see it. What? (laughs) You can clearly see the invisible things of God because you can understand them by the things that are made. Even his eternal power and Godhead, the Trinity, so that they are without excuse. God has revealed himself generally through creation. He does it through nature. Psalm 19 verses 1 to 3 says that the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Day unto day uttereth speech. And we've we've taught this in detail in the past. I'm not going to try to, to prove the point this morning. Just know that every human on this planet has access to God's general revelation. As a matter of fact, Psalm 19 and, and verse 3 says there's no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Well, what, what about the people that live on that remote island that we haven't found yet who don't have any Bible or church or missionary? That's a really good question. What they have is God's general revelation. And it may be such that they just realize there is a God. And he made all this. And, and if they start there, then God just has his own way of getting the gospel to those very people that need to hear it. But then God also speaks through what we'll call specific revelation. And and God specifically has used a multitude of different ways in the Bible. You know, in the Old Testament, in, in, in the Garden of Eden, the Lord himself walked with Adam and talked to Adam personally. He walked in the garden with him. God has used angels to communicate his word. He's used visions. He certainly has used dreams. He's even used prophets. And if you study the Bible, listen, there were a, a, a multitude of people who received God's revelation through dreams. You know, you had uh, Abimelech, who was a king in, in Genesis chapter 20. Jacob had a dream where God spoke to him. Joseph certainly was a dreamer of dreams. The chief butler and the chief baker, 
uh, received dreams. Pharaoh received dreams. Solomon did. Nebuchadnezzar did. Joseph did. Peter did. God many times used dreams in the Old Testament and even into the New Testament. And the reason he used that was because the scriptures were not fully complete. But Peter tells us in, in 2 Peter chapter 1 that because now we have the full canon of scripture, we don't need dreams, we don't need visions, we don't need angels, we don't need uh, the Lord himself showing up in our presence to speak to us. As a matter of fact, here's the key point, and then I'll read the verse. The scriptures are now complete, and the second blank is really important. The scriptures themselves are authoritative. That means, that means that the Bible itself is complete and authoritative for the life of the believer. In other words, you don't have to wait for God to give you a dream to speak to you. And you don't have to wait for God to give you a vision, and you don't have to wait to, 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 to see the handwriting on the wall, so to speak. I mean, listen, there is no new revelation that God's going to give you because we have a more sure word of prophecy. And that's what 2 Peter chapter 1 tells us in verses 19 and 20. This is an important point to make. I know most of you know this, but listen, if you don't know this, you're waiting for God to speak to you through a manner in which he will not speak to you. He's not going to speak to you through a dream. And if you have a dream, you can be assured it did not come from God. Because God speaks through his word, the authoritative and complete scriptures. Peter himself, who was a disciple who was on the Mount of Transfiguration, who saw all the miracles. He heard Jesus' word from Jesus Christ. He heard the voice of God on the Mount of Transfiguration. He experienced every experience. He had God speak to him in a vision in Acts chapter 10, where the sheep came down and all the unclean animals were in it, and he said, kill and eat, Peter. Peter himself said, we have a more sure word of prophecy. More sure than what? Than everything I've experienced, including the audible voice of God. The scriptures, in verse 20, are, are the more sure word of prophecy. It is the scriptures, it is what the Bible says that is more sure than any experience that we have. And listen, there's nothing that the devil would like for, for you to, to get wrong more than this point. Because the devil himself would have you saying the scriptures are not sufficient. And I need an experience. I need a dream. I need a vision. I need, I need the Lord to show up somehow miraculously at the foot of my bed while I'm pondering over this decision and to audibly tell me what I need to do. Friend, there is a devil that is a, the greatest counterfeiter and imitator of Christ in this universe. And in 2 Thessalonians, it says that the, the devil himself, Satan, is full of power and signs and lying wonders, so much so that he would like to deceive you with those. Stick with the book. Stick with the book. Now, we have no problem in Matthew 2 because the scriptures aren't complete. And these wise men, God is still using his method of revelation, such as dreams. But that's a dispensational divide. God doesn't speak that way today. God didn't speak that way today. And listen, I, I just want to encourage you, if you want to hear from God, get in his word. Get in his word and his Holy Spirit will reveal his truth into your life. And, and so we needed to make that point. Now, 
What, what is interesting about this text in, in Matthew chapter 2 is that when they get a dream from the Lord, the dream is a warning. It's a warning. And so the emphasis of God's word to these wise men, it was a warning. And the warning was, don't go back to Herod. And they didn't know it, but, but, but God knew that Herod probably would have killed them because Herod wanted to kill the king of the Jews, the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and, and so I just want to make the point that when God's word came to them, it wasn't an encouragement to them. It wasn't an edification to them. It wasn't a pat on the back that, man, you guys are awesome. And you came and you... God sometimes needs to warn us from his word. He sometimes needs to warn us. And the reason that he warns us is because, listen, God knows the, the end from the beginning. God has it all figured out. There's nothing that catches God by surprise. You know, 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16, the Bible tells us that all scripture is given by inspiration of God is profitable for doctrine, what is right, reproof, what is wrong, correction, how to get right, and then instruction in righteousness, how to stay right. You know, and listen, we live in the 21st century. We certainly don't want to be warned about anything, do we? I appreciate what Jonathan said about, you know, wedstrong. We show up the first night, you know, all the pleasantries are out of the way. Everybody's, you know, everybody's great to get there and great to be there. And here we are and we sing a song and we're fellowshipping and we're hugging each other. And then we sit down and we open our Bibles and Mark Trotter gets up and you know what the problem is? Men. Like in the first 30 seconds, (laughs) the first 30 seconds... I mean, God used that man of God and his Holy Spirit and his word to dropkick every single one of us in the mouth. You know the problem in our marriages? Men. The problem in our churches? Men. The problem in our culture? Men. That's a warning. I mean, I mean that's how it came across. It didn't, I, I wasn't sitting there thinking, boy, I'm sure glad I paid $290 to hear this. I was like, if I cash out now, how much can I get back? Can I get 250 back? Can I get 275 back? I mean, we're 30 seconds in, man. I mean, it's like, bam! <laughs> and it didn't get any better the second day. <laughs> the first day is like the first punch, and the second day was the body shot, and it just to the liver, and everybody crumbled. I mean, it was like, oh! You know, God's Word, you know, sometimes it needs to warn us of some things. Biblical preaching is designed to warn men. If you study Paul's ministry, and we don't have the time, but I gave you all the references, Acts 20, 1 Corinthians 4. Man, when Paul went into an area and preached, his preaching was to warn men and women. He warned them of hell, you need to get saved. And then he warned them of holiness, because you're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. It it is a warning ministry. And, And so listen, but the warning was for their good. And that's what we got to understand. God warned those wise men, not because he's mean, not because he's ugly, not because he's negative and old and crotchety and has a bad attitude. No, he warned them because he didn't want them to die, which is, which is the next point. Look, God's word in the wise men's life caused them to go another way. And listen, the, the effect of God's word in my life and your life The effect of God's word in my life and in your life should cause us to go another way. It it should make you walk a different direction. Why? 
Because God knows that if you keep going the way you're going and where you're intending to go, there's a Herod that wants to kill you. And God says, hey, I actually want you to go a different way so that you don't die, so that you don't lose your life. Proverbs 14 and verse 12 says this, There is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of, of death. And he says the exact same thing in Proverbs 16 and verse 25. There is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Listen, literally speaking, those wise men in their mind were probably thinking, this is the way we came to Jerusalem and Bethlehem. This is the way we should go back home. And God says, no. As a matter of fact, if you go that way, Herod's going to kill you. I don't want you to go that way. I want you to go another way. Literally, a way that seemed right to them, but literally would have ended probably in their death. And listen, we have to get to the place, church, where we appreciate God's word warning us. Hello? We, we need to appreciate God's word warning us. I'm thankful for Wedstrong, and I'm thankful for a marriage conference that actually warned us of some things. Why? Because if we keep going the way we're going in our marriages, in our homes, the end result is going to be death. When we come to church, listen, God has certainly some encouragement for us, but He always has warning for us. Why? Because when we think like what we think, we don't see the end from the beginning. And there's Herods along the way that want to destroy us. And God says, look, I want to protect you. I want to help you. I want to save you. And, and so he gives us a way to redirect our life. And, and just like those wise men, we need to heed God's word. We need to heed God's word in our life. And so they get a dire warning. Hey, you need to go another way. And God may have you <laughs> here today to hear that word. The way you're headed may result in death. And God doesn't want that for you. God doesn't want it for your marriage. God doesn't want it for your children. God doesn't want it for your relationships. God doesn't want it for your finances. He doesn't want it for your ministry. That means that you should heed God's warning and go another way and turn another way. And, and, and thank God that God loves us to tell us that. Amen? Okay, three of you appreciate that. All right, number, number three. Uh, the, the next thing we see is a disturbing wondering. Uh, we, we see a, uh, a disturbing wondering, and we see that Joseph and his, and his wife and now Christ are going to flee into Egypt. And again, God knows the end from the beginning. God knows that there's going to be this attempt to snuff out this king of the Jews that's been born. Verse 13 says this, and when they were departed, in other words, the wise men now, they have gone, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to, to who? He appeared to Joseph in a dream, and there's that dream again. So again, God is speaking through dreams. Here's what he said, Arise, take the young child and his mother, and flee into Egypt, and be, there, be thou there until I bring thee word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. And when he arose, he took the young child and his mother by, uh, by night, and he departed into Egypt. Okay, there's, there's a couple of principles on this point that I think are wonderful. We'll, we'll hit them, and then we're done. Number one, the principle of precedence. Who did the angel of the Lord speak to? He spoke to Joseph. Did he speak to Mary? Did he speak to the young child? He spoke to Joseph. He spoke to the husband. He spoke to the man. The angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph. And listen, Mary certainly had experience talking to the angel of the Lord. 
And when you, when you look in Luke's gospel, it was, it was Gabriel, the, an angel of the Lord, that showed up and told her, here's what God wants to do. You want to be a part of what God's doing? And she was like, yeah, the handmaid of the Lord. And so, listen, she had history of hearing God's word herself. Joseph had history of hearing God's word through a, a dream. But now God is directing this family, listen, through the man. God always has worked through a man. Cody nailed it. Mark nailed it. Listen, this man is a husband, and God is instructing him where to lead his wife and to take the young child Jesus. Okay? And so, and so here's, the, here, here's the practical truth of this. Look, God wants to work through man. And that's not to minimize women. That's not to say women aren't spiritually gifted. But I'm talking about in the context of a home and a family. God has established order. And God has positioned us men to be the leader of our home. And it is interesting that he was uniquely positioned to hear from God about where to go. And so here's the key principle. Men, we are uniquely positioned to hear from the Lord for our household. We are uniquely positioned to hear from the Lord for our household. And listen, that is a tremendous blessing because, because God can help us lead. And listen, we know, I think most of us as, as men know that we're supposed to lead our homes. But if you're like me, sometimes you feel like an idiot, like, okay, where am I supposed to lead them to? Uh, where, where are we going? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know where to go. I don't know what to do. And, and thankfully, God has positioned us to receive instruction from Him so that we know how, how to lead our homes. And, and let me also say this, you know what? God may want you to move your family. God may want you to make some change in your geography, in your location, in your circumstance for your protection. God's, God's going to tell them to move from Bethlehem to Egypt. At a minimum, that's 40 miles. At a minimum. That, that gets you right inside the border of Egypt from Bethlehem. If they went further into Egypt, God knows how much further. He said, I don't know, it doesn't tell us exactly how far into Egypt he goes. But the point is, is that God wants to, to instruct this man to lead his family and his home into a place of protection, and he always does that through the leader. He wants to do that through the, through the leader. Men, you are positioned to hear from God for your household, and I hope you appreciate that, and I hope you, you heed that, so much so that, that you're even willing to say, I don't understand what God is doing but God said, go to Egypt, so we need to go. Now, what you don't see in this story, but it's implied, is that his wife followed. His wife followed. You see, God didn't have to send the angel of the Lord to her to confirm what God had already said to him. And I, and I say that to encourage you ladies, because, I, look, that's a fearful thing, right? It's a fearful thing. You would say it's much easier to follow the Lord than to follow my husband. Well, well God's going to lead your husband. God's going to lead your husband. And if God is leading your husband, then you can trust that wherever you land, you're in the place of protection where God wants you. You'd rather be in Egypt in the will of God than be in Bethlehem outside the will of God. You'd rather be there because that is the place of protection. Okay, so, so that's the principle of precedence, okay? The second principle is the principle of priority. The principle of priority. Because the Bible says in verse 13, when the angel shows up to Joseph in the dream, he says, Arise 
Take, listen to this, listen to the order. Take the young child and his mother. That's very interesting to me. What God did not tell him is, take your wife and then Jesus. He, he didn't say that. He actually said, take the, the young child, who is, who is Jesus, and, and then take your wife. And, and, you know, and you say, well, you're reading a little bit into that a little much. Well, that's interesting because actually every time that this is mentioned, the young child is mentioned before the mother. And so if you look at Matthew chapter 2 and verse 14, it's on the screen, but just look at these references. When he arose, he took his wife and the young child. That's not what it says. He took the young child and his mother by night into Egypt. Matthew 2 and verse 20, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother and go into the land of Israel. And he arose, verse 21, and took the young child and his mother. The priority in every verse is that Christ has to be first. Christ is first. Let me tell you what this verse is not teaching. This verse is not teaching that your children are to be a priority over your spouse. That's not what it's teaching. Do you understand that? It, that's not what it's teaching. What it is teaching is that Christ has to be the priority over every relationship that you have. And especially men... Christ has to be the priority in our relationship even before our wife. Did you hear me? He has to have the preeminence. He has to have the preeminence over our children. He has to have the preeminence over our wives. He has to have the preeminence over our family. He has to have the preeminence over our employer and our boss and our associates and our friends and our hobby. He has to have the preeminence. And God, tell, God proves that in this passage. Joseph, take the child and his mother. So here's the key. As a man, you know, you, you'd say, man, you're just preaching all this because you went to Wedstrong. Well, maybe. But I also find it very unique that God is giving us in the Christmas story, if you will, what kind of men we're supposed to be. As a man, I must prioritize the person of Jesus Christ in my home. Now listen, if Christ is going to be first in your home, don't relegate that duty to your wife. Don't relegate it to the mother of your children. Don't relegate it to your children that are interested in spiritual things. The priority of the home is established by the man, and the priority has to be Christ. It has to be Christ. You say, I don't like that. Well, that's okay. I didn't write it. You, you, can, you can forgive me, and you can repent because God said it. God said it. That has to be the priority. That's how God works. And I have to make the decision for my home. And if you're a man today and you are responsible for a household, if you're a man today looking for a household and looking for a wife and looking to have children, you have to learn to prioritize the person of Christ in the home that you have and in your life. So we see the principle of priority. Number three, we see the principle of protection. The principle of protection. So God is moving them to Egypt. Go and flee into Egypt and be thou there until I bring thee word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. So the third principle we see in this story is the principle of protection. Herod is going to seek the young child to destroy him. Listen, did Joseph know that? No. Did Mary know that? No. 
Did the young child know that? Well, it's Jesus, so he knows everything, right? Okay, but, but listen, God had to tell him, this is where you're going, and this is why you need to go. You need to move, and it's for your protection. It's for your protection. And listen, and I, and I said it earlier, but here's the official blank, so you can fill in the notes. Being in the will of God and the plan of God for your life is always the safest place to be. It's always the safest place to be. And you need to give me a little grace here. That means even if your life doesn't play out like you planned it, it's still the safest place to be. You know, I, th- I think many of us really do God a disservice because we go ahead and plan out our life for the Lord. Thank <laughs> God, I got this covered. <laughs> I'm going to get married. <laughs> And I'm going to major in this career, and I'm going to have this size house, and I'm going to have these cars because I love Toyotas, and you know, uh, you know, Land Cruiser is the best, anyways. Okay, so and I'm going to have this many children. I'm going to have a cat and a dog just because I don't want to be, you know, I hate cats, but you know, I have to tolerate them. Okay, so and 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 this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to go to church on these days, but these are the hobbies I'm going to do, and nothing's going to interfere with that. And we're going to take this many vacations, and God forbid, we're going to live in this area because financially it makes sense, or this is where the job is. Listen, we do that, don't we? We do it. We do it. All of us do it. We plan it all out. And then we get so rigid in that that we don't allow God the authority to change our plans. If Joseph and Mary stay in Bethlehem, they die. And the child Jesus dies. Herod is seeking to destroy Christ. So so listen, if God's will and God's plan for your life is to pack it up and move, if God's will and God's plan for your life is to go to Egypt, well, listen, we didn't really plan that. I'm sure the conversation in that marriage relationship was, hey, uh, there's a reason we bought a house in Bethlehem, not Egypt. (laughs) I mean, you kidding me? Have you heard about that neighborhood? I mean, (laughs) have you you seen the schools in that neighborhood? (laughs) There's no way we're raising kids down there. But don't we do that? And yet, and yet, and yet, listen, you couldn't be in a safer place than where God tells you to go. Now listen, some of us, you would say, well, okay, I'm right where God wants me to be. Okay, well, maybe you are today. Uh, but you need to be open for God to, to change your situation. You know, one of the things we talked about and, and one of the things Mark talked about at the, the, the marriage conference was, you know, just getting, I think Derek mentioned it too, you know, the pace of life instead of the, instead of the grace of life that we should be experiencing. And all the things that consume us, whether it's job or material possessions or status or all the different things. And the, the thing we're going to miss at the end of all this when, when our life is done is not the material possessions or the status, but it's the things that matter. It's a relationship with God and his word and a relationship with our family and a relationship with our church family and doing what God's called us to do. That's the only thing that's going to matter at the end of this thing. And so, and so listen, let me encourage you. Be open to what God has for you and, and don't be scared. Listen, I'm sure that was a fearful thing. You want us to go to Egypt? Are you kidding me? Like, like how are we going to do that? Well, and that leads us to the last point. The last point is the principle of provision. The principle of provision. Now listen, you know, we, we haven't spent a lot of time in Luke's gospel, 
on purpose on this series. But when you do go to Luke's gospel, we, we get the, the insight that Mary and Joseph probably are very poor. And the reason we get that insight is because when Christ was born and they go to Jerusalem to offer the offering of purification for her purification, they offer the very minimum that could be accepted. They don't offer a lamb. They offer the two uh, turtle doves or the two young, young pigeons. In other words, you know, again, it's kind of an implied thing or, or maybe a little bit of insight that they didn't have much. And, and they could only scrape by. And listen, many of us understand what it means to scrape by. Amen. Okay, that, that's us. And now God is commanding him to take his, his wife and the Lord Jesus Christ to Egypt, again, a minimum of 40 miles. And then he says, you stay there until I tell you otherwise. Now, all the people that like to plan out and have action item, bullet points, plans, specific plans, that messes us up. Hello? How long are we going to be there? Till I tell you something else. Okay, but how long is that going to be? When will you be coming back to tell us something else? On what? I need to put that on my calendar and my planner. Oh, wait, what? Okay, sorry. And I'm, I'm, I live and die by calendar, man, you know. I think Jessica asked me a question this morning. Hey, can, we, can the kids practice on this date? I don't know. Time out. I have to look at the calendar. I, you know, it's got to be on the calendar. Okay, so you got to ask the question. Listen, how, how did they get to Egypt? How were how they going to make ends meet to get where God told them to go? Well, does anybody remember verse 11 where we started this little story? The Bible says in verse 11, there's some wise men that showed up and they brought treasures. And those treasures were gold and frankincense and myrrh. And myrrh. In other words, these were treasures of Christ. And the treasures of Christ are sufficient to provide what I need wherever God sends me. So here's the key principle. Look, God's provision through Christ is sufficient to accomplish His mission through my life. I mean, listen, Joseph and Mary and the young child Christ, I mean, listen, they didn't play the lottery like you do, but man, they got rich. I mean, these wise men showed up and they unloaded all these treasures. And this humble couple all of a sudden had the provision that they needed to do what God had called them to do. Now listen to me. God has given every one of us, you and me, He's already given us the provision that we need to take Christ to the world. Egypt is a picture of the world. So now all of a sudden, Matthew chapter 2 is a missions message. Because Joseph and Mary are taking Christ to Egypt, to the, to the world, the world system, the world, the world in type and picture. And who provided for it all? Well, God did. God provided everything that they needed. He provided everything that they needed. And listen, you know, the problem is many times we take what God has given us as provision, and instead of investing it in our, our, our life or, or ministry that God's called us to, we waste it away on all the things aforementioned, <laughs> right? The things that are just temporal in life. You know, we, we take what God has given us to accomplish the mission. And, and listen, all of us would say, man, if we just had a little more, 
time, money, resource, we can do what God calls us to do. Well, God's already given us all his provision in Christ. It's his riches. It's his treasure. We have it all. The question is, are we appropriating it properly or not? And so, listen, I've got another like 30 minutes here, but I can't, I can't give it to you. Let me just say this in verse 15. Uh, the Bible does say that they were there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of, by, uh, spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, out of Egypt have I called my son. You get that reference out of Hosea 11 and verse 1, if you just want to write the reference down, where, where Israel was called out of Egypt. And, uh, and there's some cool things or types uh, that we could talk about we don't have time for. Let me just ask you a couple of questions, church, and just encourage you this morning. Look, you know, we learn a lot from this Christmas story. This isn't your normal Christmas series on purpose, whatever that is, whatever a normal Christmas series is. You know, I think for today, we have to ask ourselves, do we worship the Lord as king, as priest, and as prophet? And do, we, do we submit ourselves to him because that's who he is? He fulfills all three offices. And the second question we got to ask ourselves is, are we like the wise men? Do we take the warning of God's word and allow it to cause us to go a different way in life? You know, the danger of coming to church, and it is dangerous, is that we get confronted with God's word and it doesn't have any impact in our life. Like we don't allow it to cleanse us, to purify us, to change us, to redirect us. Like if we walk out of here after hearing God's word on any Sunday or any Wednesday or any time we're in the Bible, if we, if we walk away from that and we're not somehow changed, man, that's a dangerous thing. Because God's word is for our protection, it's for our purifying, it's for our best. And many times it is warning so that God can protect us from ourselves and from the enemy that we have. Do we heed God's warning in his word? And then number three... Men, you're welcome. You got one today. Are you taking a, the advantage of the position you have in your home as the leader? Do you exercise the principle of precedence? Do you expect God to speak to you to lead your home? I hope the answer is yes. Do you, ex- do you exercise this, the principle of priority? Do you establish Christ as being first in your home? Do you exercise the principle of protection? Do you understand that we're going to be wherever God wants us and that's the best place to be. That's the best place to be. And if that means scrapping what, what we have planned and envisioned for our life, so be it. Well, man, I can't, I gotta have my 401k. Not if you're dead. <laughs> Not if you're dead. You don't need it. Not if you lose your wife and kids. How good is it gonna be then? God, man, listen, God, God help us to have a blank slate for the Lord and just go wherever He wants. And then lastly, the principle of provision. Uh, we don't need more. We have Christ. We have everything we have and need. Uh, we just need to appropriate it properly. So I hope that's an encouragement to you. Let's pray, and we'll, we are way out of time, so let's, let's just dismiss. Father, we love you. Thank you for the morning. 